Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What's up, Hope? How are we? Well, don't judge me, uh, but I have a confession to make. This is a safe space, right? I uh, just want to confess, and I've kind of been noticing this a a lot recently, uh, that when it comes to a whole lot of things in life, I just don't care. I just don't care about a whole lot of things. And I know that seems like a weird confession to make, but uh, the older I get, and I'm not old, you guys tell me this all the time, you're too young for this job, all that sort of stuff, but I'm nearing the third quarter of my life. I'm not the fourth quarter yet. Uh, one of my friends said, you know how, you know, uh, you know how you're, in, uh, you're in the fourth quarter of your life is when uh, your wife says from upstairs, hey, come upstairs for some of that good, good loving, and you know you can't do both. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm nearing the third quarter, and as I get older, I'm finding that the amount of things that I care about, like deeply and truly care about, it's like shrinking by the day. Like people would be like, hey, have you heard about this new app? And I'm like, I don't, I have it and I don't care. Have you heard about this new show, this new movie? No, I don't care. Uh, I'll be driving to work and when I'm not listening to Fish or the Grateful Dead, I will turn on news radio and I listen between like two different stations and the amount of things those hosts want me to care about, like get angry about, get upset by, be outraged at. I just, I hear what they're saying, but I just, I just don't care. Uh, my older kids, they just got um, TikTok a few months ago, and it's a shared account, so we have all the parental controls and all that sort of stuff. But when they first got it, it was amazing. Because if you don't know, if you have toddlers, it's like cocoa melon for tweens. Like it sucks them in. And it was the first like two hours of silence we've had at our house in a long time. Bad parenting. I learned that at the parenting conference. But now, like three or four times a day, they'll both come running up to me and just shove their self, cell phone in my face and play me these TikToks. And I'm like, I don't get these jokes. And they don't look at them themselves. They're looking at my face to make sure that I care as much as they do. And I'm just like, I don't, I just don't care. This is bad, guys. I'm confessing, okay? See these judgmental stares. I'm really bad at it with my wife. Uh, Every day after the kids are kind of put to bed and taken care of, wherever I'm sitting, my wife will sit right next to me. And she will just want to have a conversation. She wants to share about her day and her real estate business and her workout and what we're having for dinner tomorrow night. And she just wants to connect like a good spouse should, okay? Um, But I've learned the hard way that, that I can't just listen with my ears, which is weird because I thought that was the organ that you listen with. But no, what do I have to listen with, fellas? My face. I have to listen with my face. I have to point my face towards her and I have to nod at the right times and I have to get angry at the right times or laugh at the right times. And if I don't, she'll say, you just don't care. You just don't care. And sometimes I just don't care. Okay, that's a confession that I'm making. I'm working on that. That's horrible. I have a problem caring about the things that other people care about. All right, maybe you can pray for me. And maybe you're in the same boat. Well, I say all that because today we're going to see that one of the things that God wants to do in our life, in your life, is to get us to care to care about the things that he cares about. He wants to get our hearts to a place where we are moved by what moves his, where we're captured by what captures him. See, we're wrapping up 
uh, our study through the book of Jonah that we've been calling Saying No to God. And over the past few weeks, we've walked all the way down the road of saying no to God and seen the consequences that result from that. Last week, we saw Jonah finally say yes and reconcile with God. And uh, this week, we're gonna see that we're kind of back at square one. God's gonna give Jonah the exact same command at the beginning of chapter three that he did in chapter one, go to Nineveh, give them a chance to repent. And Jonah's gonna say yes, but what we're gonna see is that God is not done uh, refining Jonah yet. Jonah is still in process like all of us are, even after reconciling with God. And what we're gonna see is that God doesn't just wanna transform his actions, but his desires. Not just what he does, but why he does it. God doesn't just want Jonah or you or I just to do what he says or commands, although that's a good starting point, but his deepest desire is that we care about the things that he cares about. And if you're anything like me, that can be a struggle. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter three. If you're just joining with us, jumping into this series, again, God gave uh, Jonah a command, go give the Ninevites a chance to repent. He said no, got on a boat to run away from God. Stupid thing to do, don't get in a boat if you run away from God. There is a storm, he ends up in the sea, a big fish swallows him. He has this aha moment, he reconciles with God. The fish kind of yeets him up on dry land and that's where we pick up the story. So let's read this in uh, Jonah chapter three. It says this, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, three days to walk across. So Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, about halfway. And this is his sermon. This is his big moment. Ready? He says, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. And maybe it's just because I do sermons for a living, but that doesn't seem like a very good sermon to me. It's not a very long sermon. It's got an exclamation point, so it's a loud sermon, but it doesn't seem very convincing. He doesn't even talk about God. He doesn't say, hey, Ninevites, I see that you worship all these different gods and goddesses. Bad news, they're not real, but there is a real God, and he sent me, and uh, he's loving, but he's also just, and he's seen the way you chop dudes' arms and legs off. He's not happy. Let me tell you about a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't talk about any of that. He just says, y'all got 40 days, that's all. But look at what happens next. It says this in verse five. And the people of Nineveh, they heard that sermon and they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Isn't that crazy? Jonah gets on the stage, says, y'all got a month at most, peace out. Gets off the stage and revival breaks out. This spiritual awakening takes place and it goes from the street vendors and the servants all the way up to the king and his courts. Isn't that incredible? What you may not know in the book of Jonah doesn't tell you, but what historians, historians tell us is that God had actually been at work behind the scenes for months and for years, kind of priming the Ninevites to get ready to hear this message. 
Uh, historians tell us that around this time, all of the, the enemies of Nineveh have gathered together and partnered together 100 miles to the north, and they've told Nineveh, hey, we're going to come and attack your city. So that got their attention. Also recently, they experienced a complete and total solar eclipse. Now, back in those days, you didn't buy those goofy glasses and like get with your family in the driveway and look, you're like, oh my goodness, the world is ending. What did I do? So that got their attention. And recently they had been through not one, but two different pandemics or plagues. And so God had their hearts primed and ready to hear the message that Jonah would give them. He got them ready to respond. And this is, this is apart from the text, this is free. I just want to let you know God still does this. Some of my favorite moments in life really are when I talk to someone after a service and I get to pray with them to start a new relationship with Jesus. And I'll ask them, hey, what's, what's your story? And they'll say crazy stuff. Like I was an addict for 20 years and I came to church this weekend or I was thinking about taking my life tomorrow but my friends invited me, or I just got out of prison last night, or they'll say, hey, I was, an, I was an atheist when I walked into service, and I don't even know why I came. And I always say, what changed? And they always say this, it's something that you said in your message, it's that thing that you said in your sermon. And I say, well, what did I say? And they'll tell me, and I'll be like, I didn't say that, or that was not a point in my sermon. But see, I've learned that it, it had nothing to do with what I said or the whole point of the message. It was just that that sermon was the last step in a long process that God was working and orchestrating to bring them back to himself. And I just need you to know that God is always working. He is always working. He is always working, even when we can't see it, even when we least expect it. He is working behind the scenes in every single person's life in ways that we will never understand. So don't ever write someone off because you think they are too far away from God, that they're outside the grasp of God's grace because it's not true. That was me and you at one point in our life as well. Don't ever write someone off because they're too far away. They might be one step away from experiencing God's grace and mercy. Maybe that's why God brought them to you, see? And that's what happens with Nineveh. Verse 10 says this, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Nineveh is saved. Now, in my humble opinion, that would be a great place to end the story. <laughs> be a perfect place. The disobedient prophet repents, reconciles with God, gives the message, and this whole city is saved, and they all lived happily ever after. after. But that's not where the story ends. Because Jonah doesn't respond the way that we would expect. In fact, he responds in a pretty selfish and dark way. In fact, if I was Jonah's PR manager, I would have said, hey, let's take chapter four out. In fact, this, this chapter is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true because the main character, we get to see the good parts and the bad parts of the people that wrote these books. But look at what Jonah does. And this, this section is really confusing for a lot of people, but we'll walk through it. It says this in chapter four. Nineveh gets saved... <laughs> But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he blows up and he prays to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than live. Like drama queen Jonah. This is like Karen the prophet. Like, God, can I speak to your manager, right? <laughs> There's actually a Karen on the worship team. I had to apologize to her for that joke. But he blows up. 
He blows up in his anger and just all this stuff just spews out. He says, I knew that you would do this. This is why I didn't want to come in the first place. I knew that you would give these Ninevites a chance. I knew that you would work in their hearts to forgive them. And I hate that. And I just want to die. And he throws this fit. And in this blow up, about 117 different things just rise to the surface. Stuff that Jonah probably didn't even know was in his heart just comes spewing out. Has that ever happened to you? It has to me. Or you just carrying this anger around you didn't even know you had and your wife says something and your kids say something and your spouse or your coworker and you just throw this fit and you just blow up and you say these horrible things. And then there's that awkward silence afterwards and you just think, man, I didn't even know that was, that was deep down in there. I've had that happen. You see the pride here? I'm an Israelite. I expect you to forgive me, but I don't expect you to forgive them. You see the hypocrisy? How dare you give them a second chance? the same second chance that I desperately needed and you gave me just a few days ago. You see the selfishness? What am I gonna say to my friends? I can't go back to them and say that I helped forgive our mortal enemy, that I was used by God in that way. There's all this stuff in their hearts and that's in my heart and that's in your heart as well. And all of this stuff sort of rises to the surface, but look at how God handles it. Watch this. He doesn't match the intensity of Jonah. He doesn't strike him dead like I would have. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't guilt him. Instead, he just asks a question. He just asks a simple question, which God does a lot, by the way. He's an expert question asker. Verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's like, Jonah, all that stuff, is that, is that good stuff? Is that righteous anger? See, he's probing Jonah's heart. He's trying to get him to see what's in there. And the answer, of course, is no. That's not righteous anger. His heart is not good. There's all this type of stuff in his heart that needs to go. And so God begins this process of exposing what's in his heart and asking questions. And exposing what's in his heart and asking questions. It says this in verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth or a tent for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Remember, he can't go home because he goes home. They're like, hey, did you take care of Osama bin Laden? Yeah, I patched things up between him and God. Like, he can't go home anymore. And so he goes outside the city gates and builds a tent just far enough away from the cities. And he, he's thinking, man, these pagans are definitely going to screw this up. And I want a front row seat to the destruction. That's dark. And this is the confusing part, okay? But hang with me. <laughs> now, the Lord God, in response to this, appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. God's like, I got this disobedient, evil prophet. I know what he needs, a hibiscus. It may, it'll make sense in a second. It says that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah, note this, was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He's exceedingly glad, not because all these different people repented and began a relationship with God. No, that made him exceedingly angry, but he's exceedingly glad because he's got a little shade on his front porch because he's a little bit more comfortable in the heat. And that's God's point. He's exposing what Jonah cares about. It gets even crazier. He says this in verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. So he's appointed a storm, a fish, a plant, now a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than live. He says that a lot. 
But what God's doing is he's making it crystal clear what Jonah cares about. He's allowing him to see what his heart desires, and it's not anything close to God's desires. And again, God is patient and just and asked this heart-probing question again, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then God asked Jonah and really us one final question. In fact, this is the only book of the Bible that ends with a question. And it's the question. And it's the question that we'll end with today. Verse 10, the Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. <laughs> and that last part's weird, but I think it's God being sarcastic. You care about plants and worms, you environmentalists. What about the cows, Jonah? What about the cows? But what he's, what he's really asking is, he's saying, Jonah, I care about the Ninevites. And I know that you hate them because they're evil and they do all this violence, but they don't know the right from the left. They don't, they don't know about me. They don't understand about sin and redemption. And you care about this plant that was here in a day and gone, and you did nothing to bring it about, but this city is filled with people that I have known since their birth. And they're eternal souls. They're going to last for eternity. I care about them, Jonah. That's what I care about. I care about people. And the question is, do you? Do you care about what I care about? And that's such a humbling question and such a revealing question and such a hard question to answer. But it's, it's a question that all of us do. I'm talking to you guys now. <laughs> We're out of Jonah. When you look at your heart, like way deep down inside, do you care about what God cares about? That's a question that you need to answer. What do you care about the most? I mean, honestly, what do you desire the most? What do you long for the most? What keeps you up at night? What is the deepest desire of your heart? Now, before you answer that, you know the crazy thing about that question? Like if I pulled you aside and just asked you face to face, what do you care about the most? You know what's crazy? You can lie. <laughs> you can tell someone anything that you want. You can lie to others. You can lie to yourself. You can say, I care about God and his glory above all else. I care about people knowing and walking with Jesus. I care about the things that God cares about. And you can just lie. But you know what really reveals what's in our heart? You know when you can't lie to yourself or to others? It's when you get angry, like Jonah. It's when we get angry. Our anger reveals what we really care about. James puts it this way. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? What causes anger in your relationships? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And James is saying there is a correlation between our anger and our desire. What we really care about is connected to those times that we get angry. You want to know what you care about? Notice when you get angry. Notice the next time that you get angry at someone, and it's because that person is standing in the way of what you in that moment really care most about. And if you get into this habit of doing this heart check, in those moments of anger, you will realize that you deeply care about the silliest things. Your kids start fighting upstairs and you get angry and you realize, man, I care about my comfort or peace and quiet 
or the end of this TV show more than I care about my kids or more than I care about being a good parent. Or you're on your way to work and some idiot cuts you off on the highway and starts going five below the speed limit and you get angry and you realize, I care more about my promptness than about the person in that car who might have gotten in an accident last week, just being a little cautious. It's the silliest stuff. Your hamburger comes out of the kitchen without mayo and you explicitly ask for mayo. And you get mad at the waitress and you get mad at the cooks in the kitchen and you don't leave a tip and you realize that you care more about a meal, about a condiment, than you care about the souls of the waitress and the staff at that restaurant. You see, if we're honest, we would have to admit that most of us, most of the time, care about teeny, tiny, inconsequential things. Most of us deeply desire Silly little things that have no eternal consequence whatsoever. I mean, we deeply care about the Wordle puzzle or the new, episode of Yellow, the new episode of Yellowstone or our comfort or a momentary entertainment or momentary admiration or control way more than we care about where our friends or our coworkers or fellow students or roommates will spend eternity. You see, God cares about people. What do you care about? And what God's pointing out to Jonah and what God's pointing out to us is a really hard truth that often our hearts are at odds with the heart of God. And I don't think it's because we actively are fighting against God's plans or God's desires. It's just that every single day that we wake up, and you should know this, every single day you wake up, there is a battle for your heart. There is a battle for your affections because we have an enemy who knows you get a person that cares about what God cares about, you get a person that is driven by what drives God, that is a person that's gonna make an influence. That's a person that puts Satan on high alert. And so he's gonna do everything in his power to capture our hearts with things like entertainment or with, with news stories, with political spats, with relational drama, with that new house or that new book or that new boat, all these toys with, with little things, inconsequential things to keep us from being an influence, to keep us from making a difference. There's a battle for our hearts. John Piper says it this way, if you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. And that's hard to hear. But that's the question that God leaves us with at the end of Jonah. Do you care about what God cares about? And most of the time, me too. <laughs> the answer is no. My heart's at odds with the heart of God. But let me tell you something really cool. God's in the business of changing hearts. He's in the business of changing hearts. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 37. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I memorized that verse growing up. I'm like, man, if I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me what I want. I get to go to the college I want. I'll get the girl of my dreams. But that's not what this verse says. See, the psalmist says that if you aim your heart towards God, what he's really saying is if you aim your affections towards God and you try your hardest to love him with your whole heart and take joy in him and take delight in him, which is kind of easy because he's pretty amazing. But if you do that, when you turn your affections towards him, then slowly the psalmist says that God will, listen, he'll change what your heart desires. He won't give you what you're currently desiring, but he will give you new desires. 
He'll make you into the type of person that cares about what God cares about and loves what he loves and is wrapped up in what God is wrapped up in. And maybe that's a prayer that all of us need to pray this week. Not God, would you give us what we desire, but God, would you give us new desires? Give me desires that match yours. And that's a prayer that I've been praying for myself. And honestly, that's a prayer that I've been praying over our church as a whole. That's what we want as leaders at Hope. We want to be a church that cares about what God cares about. I mean, honestly, we could care less about our growth. Although those numbers represent people and people represent souls, we could care less how many views we have online. What we, what we ultimately care about is, are we a church that cares about the things that God cares about? Does the heart of our church match the heart of God? And I've just been thinking a lot about that recently, especially when prep for this message and I've asked that question, is hope the type of church that cares about what God cares about? And I'd have to say, after thinking about it for like a whole week, I'd honestly have to say in many ways, yes. Didn't expect me to say that, did you? <laughs> yes, I think we are. If you're a Baptist and you like guilt and shame messages, you're going to hate the end of this message. But I've just been thinking, you know, there have been thousands, probably more pastors who have preached through the book of Jonah. And they've gotten to chapter four and they've had to stand before a congregation that honestly couldn't care less about the things of God. And those pastors have had to plead with their congregation to change or plead with God to change their congregation. I know I've been that pastor before, but by God's grace and mercy, as I look out over the faces right now <laughs> and thousands more watching at our campuses or online that I can kind of picture in my mind, they're the faces of people that do, that do care about what God cares about. And I don't want us to take that for granted. You know, when I handed off leadership uh, of our church plant up in Asheville in 2018, and me and my wife were trying to figure out where God wants us, we felt called to hope. And the number one reason we felt called back to hope was because of how much you guys love people. It's because the heart that you have so closely matches the heart of God. And through the years, um, I've seen that heart. And that love get unleashed on other people. Recently, um, I was actually the recipient of that love. If you guys don't know, we um, are foster parents. And so we have a beautiful little two-and-a-half-year-old girl. One day I might be able to tell you her name or show you a picture, but we're not there in the process yet. And so we had a court date um, the second week of January. And we learned during that court date that the mother had another child. And so our foster daughter had a little brother. And he was three weeks old at the time. And I looked at Jenny during that court date, and I'm like, they're going to call us. <laughs> so now we have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old, a 12- and 13-year-old. And sure enough, we got the call. Hey, you heard today that there's a three-week-old uh, that needs a home. Would you guys be open um, to taking them in? Now, it didn't work out, okay? They found a better placement for him. But in the moment, we're just like, okay, uh, we have not done newborn in 12 years, and uh, I forget what that's like, and, uh, but we did remember the sleeplessness and the discomfort and all that sort of stuff, and me and Jenny just kind of had this moment where we looked at each other, and it really was a moment where it's like, do we really care about what God cares about? Like, it's uncomfortable, it's not going to be fun, but there's a child that needs a home, and we just said, hey, God said care for the widows and the fatherless. Yes, we just said yes, so we called him up, and and Jenny went into overdrive, and she starts making this Amazon wish list. Like, what, what are strollers like nowadays? We have no idea. What about cribs, all this sort of stuff? 
And um, she starts nesting, and inside I'm kind of freaking out. Like I'm trying to be brave, but I'm kind of freaking out. And uh, it could be any day. And so it was a Wednesday. I came into the office, and um, I got an email from uh, Fostering Hope, which is one of our ministries. If you're interested, actually, we have a, um, an interest meeting February 9th um, here at the Raleigh campus from 6.30 to 8 p.m. But I get an email, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we have that ministry. And uh, the email, I just... I just like broke down in tears when I read it. And it, it was little stuff, but they said, hey, we're so happy that you decided to become a foster parent. We know that this is going to be hard for you guys, um, but we just want to let you know that diapers are covered. Any furniture that you guys need at all, that's covered. A formula, that's covered. In fact, we're going to provide you with meals for two weeks and even more um, if we can do that. And, and it's little stuff that Jenny and I could have gotten on our own, um, but it was just the heart behind it. And to be on the receiving end of that, of just this heart that so clearly beats and matches the heart of God, that we want to partner with you as you seek to make a difference in the world. We care about you. We care about these, these, these children that don't have a home. And I was just reminded once again, like, this is the place that God has called us to, and I'm so happy. So if I were to ask the question, do the people of hope care about what God cares about? I would honestly have to say yes. Many of them do. And it's an incredible church to be a part of. And we want more people to get that heart and to catch that love as well. But that's the end of the book. <laughs> that's the question that God leaves us with. And, um, you know, I think um, going through a series like this, I, I just sense that God's doing something. I've got emails. I got an email from a lady in France with a partner, with a church that we partner with. And it was this beautiful kind of poetic presentation of how the book of Jonah, they're doing these sermons and the study over there, how it's changed her life. And so I just don't think it would be right to end this series without giving some people here and online or to campuses another chance, not a last chance, but another chance to start a relationship with a God whose heart beats for you. I think maybe, you know, a lot of us are identifying with Jonah, but some of us are probably Ninevites here in this room where, God's been at work behind the scenes and you just found your way to a campus or online and you're hearing about this God that loves you and I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes and then we'll dismiss. So if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes and if that's you and maybe you just have to say, and I haven't heard of God's heart for me in that way before. I thought it was all rules. I thought it was all regulations. I thought it was all do this and don't do that. But I'm seeing this picture of a merciful and loving God. I just want to let you know that <laughs> he's head over heels in love with you. And he wants more than anything to be in a relationship with you. And so if that's you, and uh, maybe you want to give this whole relationship thing a try, and you don't even know what that entails, and you don't know what the future might hold, maybe just pray a prayer like this. Father, I I heard that you loved me today, and I haven't heard those words from another person in a long time. And I heard that you'll forgive me all my past sins and all my faults and all my failings, and that you also have the power to change a heart, and I need that. So Father, I ask that you would forgive me, that you would enter into my heart, that you would transform me from the inside out, that you would reconcile me, and that you would just start a relationship with me, whatever that means. And if that's you and you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to tell someone about that. Someone online, someone at one of our campuses, but make sure you tell them. But I just want to pray for all of us.
before we end. Father, thank you for the series. I thank you for this amazing book. Father, I pray that you would just move in the hearts of every single person hearing this. Father, this, this, this series would be a reminder that we want to put our yes on the table. We're done saying no. We want to say yes. We want a heart that beats for yours. And Father, we pray that as you do that in our midst, that you would move, that you would allow us to reach more and more people, that you would just do incredible things in us and through this this year. So thank you for your word. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for causing reconciliation. God, we want to work for you. God, we want to make an influence. We want to make a difference. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.